0: Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these early podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. I want to talk a bit more about the light emissions I discussed in the last podcast and the extraordinary two-way communication going on between living things. This isn't new information. In the 1960s, Cleve Baxter had made his name as the country's leading lie detector expert, but more importantly, he was among the first to propose that plants are affected by human intention. It was a notion considered so preposterous that it was ridiculed for 40 years. Baxter achieved his notoriety from a series of experiments that purported to demonstrate that living organisms read and respond to a person's thoughts. It all started one morning in February, after working all night. Baxter was taking a coffee break at 7 a.m. He was about to water a dracaena plant in his office when he had an idea. He decided to see if he could record any change by connecting the dracaena to one of his polygraph machines. A lie detector is sensitive to the slightest change in the electrical conductivity of skin in a human being, which is caused by increased activity of the sweat glands, which in turn are governed by the sympathetic nervous system. A lie detector also monitors changes in blood pressure, respiration, and the strength and rate of the pulse. Low levels of electrical conductivity indicate little stress and a state of calm. Higher electrodermal activity readings indicate that the sympathetic nervous system, which is sensitive to stress or certain emotional states, is on overdrive, as would be the case when somebody's lying. In 1966, the -the state-of-the-art technology was pretty crude a set of electrode plates which were attached to two of a subject's fingers, through which a tiny current of electricity was passed. The smallest increases or decreases in electrical resistance were picked up by the plates and recorded on a paper chart on which a pen traced a continuous, zigzagged line. When somebody lied or in any way experienced a surge of emotion, like excitement or fear, the size of the zigzag would dramatically increase and the tracing would move to the top of the chart. You've probably seen these in old movies. When a person takes a polygraph test, the best way to determine if he's lying is to ask a direct and pointed question so that any answer but the truth will cause an immediate dramatic stress reaction in his sympathetic nervous system and a big zigzag on the chart. So, something like, Was it you who fired the two bullets into Joe Smith? In order to elicit the equivalent of alarm in a plant, Baxter knew he needed to somehow threaten its well-being. He tried immersing one of the plant's leaves in a cup of coffee, but that didn't cause any interesting reaction on the tracing. If this were the tracing of a human being, Baxter would have concluded that the person being monitored was either tired or bored so it was obvious to him that he needed to pose an immediate and genuine threat. He would get a match, he thought, and burn the electroded leaf. At the very moment he had that thought, the recording pen swung to the top of the polygraph chart and nearly jumped off. He hadn't burned the plant, he'd only thought about doing so. According to his polygraph, though, the plant had perceived the thought as a direct threat and registered extreme alarm. Baxter ran to his secretary's desk in a neighboring office for some matches. When he returned, the plant was still registering alarm on the polygraph. He lit a match. He flickered it under one of the leaves. The pen continued on its wild zigzag course. Baxter then returned the matches to his secretary's desk. The tracing calmed down and began to flatline what on earth was that? Baxter didn't know what to make of it. This plant, it seemed, had read his thoughts. This only could have occurred if the plant possessed some sort of sophisticated extrasensory perception that it somehow must be attuned to its environment. Baxter modified his polygraph equipment to amplify electrical signals so that they'd be highly sensitive to the slightest electrical change in the plants. He and his partner, Bob Henson, set about replicating that initial experiment with the other plants in the office in their environment. They discovered a number of amazing characteristics. The plants grew attuned to the coming and goings of their main caretaker. They also maintained some sort of territoriality, and so didn't react to events in the other offices near his lab. But most intriguing of all, there seemed to be a continuous two-way flow of information between the plants and other living things in their environment. One day, when Baxter boiled his kettle to make coffee, he found he'd put in too much water. But when he poured the residue down the sink, he noticed that the plants registered an intense reaction. Now, the sink wasn't the most hygienic. In fact, his staff hadn't cleaned the drain for several months. He decided to take some samples from the drain and examine them under a microscope. Doing that showed a jungle of bacteria that ordinarily live in the waste pipes of a sink. When threatened by the boiling water, Had the bacteria emitted some sort of mayday signal before they died, which had been picked up by the plants? Baxter knew he'd be ridiculed if he presented findings like these to the scientific community. So he enlisted an impressive array of chemists, biologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, and physicists to help him design an airtight experiment. The only way to achieve this was to automate the experiment entirely. Baxter and Henson rigged up a gadget that would randomly select one of six possible moments when a small cup containing the brine shrimp would invert and tip its contents into a pot of continuously boiling water. The randomizer was placed in a far room in his suite of six offices, with three plants attached to a polygraph equipment in three separate rooms at the other end of the lab. After flipping a switch, Baxter and Henson would leave the lab so that they and their thoughts would in no way influence the results. Baxter and Henson tried their test numerous times. The results were unambiguous. The polygraphs of the electroded plants spiked a significant number of times just at the point when the brine shrimp hit the boiling water if plants could register the death of an organism three doors away, it must mean that all life forms were exquisitely in tune with each other. Living things must be registering and passing telepathic information back and forth at every moment, particularly at moments of threat or death. Baxter published the results of his experiment in several respected journals of psychic research, and gave a presentation before the Parapsychology Association during one of its annual meetings. Parapsychologists recognized his contribution and replicated it in a number of independent labs. It was even glorified in a best-selling book, The Secret Life of Plants. But among the mainstream scientific community, his research was disparaged as ludicrous largely because he wasn't a traditional scientist, and he was ridiculed for what became known as the Baxter effect. Nevertheless, over the next 30 years, Baxter ignored his critics and stubbornly carried on with his research, as well as his polygraph business, eventually amassing file drawers full of studies of what he referred to as primary perception. A variety of plants that had been hooked up to his polygraph equipment showed evidence of a reaction to human emotional highs and lows, especially threats and other forms of negative intention. But so did other living things like paramecia, mold cultures, eggs, and even yogurt. Baxter demonstrated that bodily fluids such as blood and semen samples taken from himself and his colleagues could also register reactions that mirrored the emotional state of their hosts. So when he removed them and moved them to places far away from the host, they still were registering what the host was registering. For instance, the blood cells of a young lab assistant reacted intensely the moment he opened a Playboy's centerfold and caught sight of Bo Derek in the nude. These reactions weren't dependent on distance. Any living system attached to a polygraph reacted similarly to his thoughts, whether he was in the room or miles away. And we've certainly seen that with our intention experiments, when we've sent thoughts to seeds um, when we were in Sydney, Australia, and the seeds were in Tucson, Arizona, they were 8,000 miles away. So these organisms and all of the organisms he's tested weren't simply registering his thoughts. They were communicating telepathically with all the living things in their environment. Plus, all the parts of the body are in such synchrony and registering the same thing that when you take something out of the body, like blood, it's still registering what you are registering. The live bacteria in yogurt displayed a reaction to the death of other types of bacteria and even evidenced a desire to be fed with more of its own beneficial bacteria. It must have felt threatened. Eggs registered a cry of alarm and then resignation when one of their number was dropped in boiling water. Plants appeared to react in real time to any break in continuity with living things in their environment. They even appeared to react at the moment when their caretakers, who were away from the office, decided to return. Although certain questions remain about Baxter's unorthodox research methods, the sheer bulk of his evidence argues strongly for some sort of primary responsiveness and attuning, if not sentience, present in all organisms, no matter how primitive. Baxter had to wait some years to discover the mechanism of this communication, which became apparent when physicist Fritz Albert Popp discovered biophotons. It was refined further when Konstantin Korotkov, a professor of quantum physics at St. Petersburg State Technical University in Russia, now called ITMO University, advanced Pop's ideas and equipment after working out that he could measure this faint light far more easily when he ran an electromagnetic field through it, which excited it hundreds of thousands of times and made it far easier to measure. Kuratkov had become intrigued by the work of Semyon Davidovich Kirlian, a Russian engineer who claimed to be able to capture the human aura on film. Eventually, Korotkov came up with a means of improving on uh, Kirlian's rudimentary system and capturing this mysterious light in real time by stirring up the photons of a living system stimulating them into an excited state so that they'd shine millions of times more intensely than usual. He developed what he called a gas discharge visualization technique, which made use of -of state-of-the-art optics, digitized television matrices, and a powerful computer, a blend of photography, measurements of light intensity, and computerized pattern recognition. A computer program would then extrapolate from this a real-time image of the biofield surrounding the organism and deduce from it the state of the organism's health. Krotkov has written five books on the subject and attracted the attention of the Russian Ministry of Health, which recognized the importance of his invention in assessing health and diagnosing illness. And even by 2007 the GDV device was widely used as a general diagnosis tool and as a means to evaluate a patient's progress after surgery. The Russian Ministry of Sport had also begun to take notice of Korotkov and his machinery, using it to assess the state of athletes training for the Olympics. Outside Russia, now, thousands of medical practitioners are using Kuratkov's machines. Privately, Karatkov carried on with his own studies of what had really captured his imagination, the connection between biofields and consciousness. He took GDV readings of healers and Qigong masters while they were sending energy and discovered remarkable changes in these light emissions. Karatkov then explored the effects of a person's thoughts on the people surrounding him. He asked a number of couples to send a variety of thoughts to their partners while they were standing within close range. Every strong emotion, whether love, hate, or anger, produced an extraordinary effect on the light discharge of the recipient. We've done these experiments with Dr. Karatkov and found that when we we have a group of people in an audience sending intention of love or even negative intentions to someone on stage, we can profoundly affect the light emissions coming from them. And when we're sending it in a group to someone and measuring them, we find that their light emissions are getting better and better and better. Some 40 years after Baxter first employed his crude polygraph mechanism to register the effect of thoughts, Karatkov verified those early discoveries. He hooked up a potted plant to his GDV machine and asked his researchers to think of different emotions, like anger, sadness, or joy, and then positive and negative intentions towards the plant. Whenever a participant mentally threatened the plant, its energy field diminished. The opposite occurred if people approached the plant with water or feelings of love. Cleve Baxter had stumbled across the first evidence that living things engage in a constant two-way flow of information with their environment, enabling them to register even the nuances of human thought. The more advanced scientific knowledge of physicists like Fritz Popp and Konstantin Korotkov were needed to uncover the actual mechanism of the communication. Their research into the nature of quantum light emissions from living organisms suddenly made sense of Baxter's findings. If thoughts are another stream of photons, it's perfectly plausible that a plant could pick up the signals and be affected by them. But here's the take-home message from this podcast. The work of Baxter, Pop, and Karatkov suggests something profound about the effect of intention and the fact that thoughts are not locked inside your head. The most important aspect of what all of them showed was evidence of a constant two-way flow of information between all living things. Every organism, from bacteria to human beings, appears to be in perpetual quantum communication. This relentless conversation offers a ready mechanism by which thoughts can have a physical effect. What it means to you is something very simple. Every last thought you have is augmenting or diminishing someone else's or something else's light. So here's an experiment to try at home. If you have two near-identical plants, or you buy two near-identical plants, or have them in your back garden um, or backyard, talk to one plant regularly, and don't with the other for a month or two. Just ignore it. Then see how they're doing and whether you're having an effect. Once you've registered an effect, of course, start talking to them both. Another thing to do is to keep note of the effect you're having on your friends and family when you're in a bad mood, even when not in their presence, or a good mood. Even if you're silent about your moods, you're having an invisible effect on them. So what you're thinking every minute of every day is definitely worth thinking about. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to register your response. Thanks again.